0: Hello boys and girls and welcome to the public broadcasting episode of Kind of Epic Show. I'm using my fake Mr. Rogers voice because we have on our program Brian Henson, who actually appeared on the very first episode of Sesame Street, which is a thing I probably should have asked him about in the interview, but spoilers, I didn't. But anyway,
1: (laughs) we also have,
0: in addition to Brian Henson, who is the chairman of the Henson Corporation and the lead judge on the the show that just ended its first season this week, um, the Jim Henson Creature Workshop Challenge, um, Um, We also have uh, Joanna Estep, one of the talented artists for Archaea and Boom Entertainment, who did The Fraggle Rock and Tale of Sand, I believe. (laughs)
2: You're just like, I believe.
0: I believe.
2: I might be wrong.
0: But you know that the veracity of the stuff that we talk about on Kind of Epic Show is dubious on a weekly basis. (laughs) So, I feel as though this is an accurate introduction to our content. I want to say thank you, neighbors, and if you can just put on your penny loafers now and press the space bar, David. (laughs)
2: yes it is how are
0: you oh I'm doing really well and uh, better now that now uh, we've got you <laughs> I'm very happy to, to get the opportunity to, to talk to you today and uh, thank you for for giving us uh, your time
2: my pleasure.
0: I, I just wanted to, to start by well talking about the reason that you are here. You have got a new show on the Sci-Fi Channel, and not your first partnership with um, the the Sci-Fi Network, but a really exciting one for us. And we just can you just tell us about the creation of Jim Henson's Creature Challenge and uh, uh, what it is that that audiences are going to look forward to.
2: Well, this is uh, in trying to explore where where perhaps our company would work in the reality. Um, realm of entertainment this is some place that we've kept coming back to over the years that the, the people that design and build the creatures mm. out of our creature shop are kind of the most extraordinary artists it's so interesting for people um, always to see what goes on and, and the level of talent that, that is required um, and creativity so it's, it's only been with this iteration we've sort of talked around it and it's, at some point it was more like a docudrama series a docu-series about these artists but this one really got us excited Joe Freed who's one of the executive producers he came to me and shared that enthusiasm for these artists and he comes from a reality background and he had a really good very brought out tape on this and we brought it out and we only I think pitched it two places and both were so excited about it they begged us to stop and then and then sci-fi were the ones who were the most excited and and it went from pitch to making it actually very quickly
0: it's not surprising. <laughs> We're quite excited about it as as fans and kinda of getting that the inside look in, in a in a way that it feels really contemporary and kinda of fits along the lines of some of their other programming is in, yeah,
2: in a w- I think the format the format is pretty comfortable for the audience. You know, if you're it, it, it's in the it's a you know, it's a close cousin to face off, it's a close cousin to, to Project Runway. And uh, but like Face Off, it, it concentrates on a, on a very specialized type of artist who's working at such a high standard that, that it's almost like watching magic, you know, watching them, them create. And, and I, you know, I couldn't be happier with the way the show turned out. But I also wanted to – we always wanted to make sure it felt very credible. Um, with this show, it really is at the Creature Shop, the Jim Henson Creature Shop. Um, the winner really does get a job at the Jim Henson creature shop the contest the, the 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 designer builders the creature designers as we call our contestants the creature designers are genuinely being mentored by the masters of the creature shop and are genuinely being judged by me and um, well that Hathaway comes from outside the company but mm. Kirk Thatcher is a top creature designer inside our company and so you know it really is a very Incredible situation and at the end of the day we really were excited about hiring the winner and Putting them in the
0: creature shop I had to apologize because the last two minutes I've just been imagining miss piggy walking down a, a runway since you you mentioned project Runway and and uh, and the creature workshop so that was kind of a, of a funny thing I mean it's just a, it just all these characters inspire so much love I mean is there is there one thing that you you see uh, in terms of of the creations that come out of this contest that that feels like it's something that would just be a fit or like a next new new character that or are they only working on kind of like legacy characters that you guys have have worked on done before.
2: No. Did you see the premiere episode? I haven't
0: actually had the chance to see the, the premiere. Oh, yet.
2: oh, I thought they sent you a screener. Um, okay, well, it's what happens is at the beginning of every episode, I give them a creature brief and I tell them what kind of creature I want them to make and and basically the approach I want them to take towards it. And then at the end of the, every episode, there's a screen test of all the creatures, and the screen test is on it, camera, which is the way our Creature shop works. We, we build creatures to be seen on camera. And um, where was I going with that? <laughs> so I'm just trying to remember where, where the question started. Oh, I was just describing to you the... The, the, the screen test, yeah. And and then they're, basically their creature has to be... We we basically judge them on how believable is their creature, how credible, how alive is their creature, and how how capable is it of emoting and performing because that's what makes a great creature. But it isn't isn't so much that we were trying to create unforgettable characters. It's not really, you know, I, I have to say many of the creatures that were created and built during the season are great creatures. It's not, it's not usually the way we would go, that we would then look for a movie or a program for that creature. They are not building in a puppet style. So that was where I started from, because you haven't seen the screen right mm. In our company, we 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 do some animation, 3-D animation. We It's called digital puppetry the way we do it. It's performed by pu- performers.
0: Things like Sid the Science Kid.
2: Like Sid the Science Kid. But then in the shop, the, really the character, the, the creatures that we build... But, are, are two types. They're either the puppets or they're the creatures. And the puppets are like Muppets where you know they're made of fabric and ping-pong ball eyes and, and you know that they're hand puppets and they're worked by hand puppets. There's not a very strong illusion of life there in, in, except for the fact that they seem to act so alive. Um, with the creatures that we make, which is like dark. The roots of the creatures in the Jim Henson Company come from Dark Crystal, mm. Labyrinth, Storyteller, Far um, Farscape, Dinosaurs. The shows where we were actually creating creatures that actually we wanted them to look more alive than a puppet. So they both look alive. We we would say to people when they go, "Well, I don't get it. when isn't the puppet went into the creature?" I always say to them, "Well, if you cut." A creature, you want the audience to believe that it would bleed. If you cut a puppet, you, you're, you're perfectly fine that the audience believes there would be cotton wool stuffing that comes out. Um, so that's sort of, and this show is all about creatures.
0: Absolutely. I, I wanted to talk about some of those more realistic creatures, and as you say, the Dark Crystal is is really where um, the the emphasis of of those um, that amazing suspension of belief, where you truly believe you're in a different world, because that's essentially an all puppet film. And your company had recently partnered with uh, Boom and Archaea to actually republish uh, the Dark Crystal novelization, or will be will be republishing the Dark Crystal novelization with some original notes uh, from from your dad, from from Jim uh, drawing. Uh, original drawings and notes uh, for the script of uh, The Dark Crystal. Do you, do you have any more details about when that will be coming out or, or how um, that particular partnership uh, came about or even the earlier partnerships with Arkea like uh, A Tale of Sand or the the Storyteller books?
2: Oh, You know what? I'm, I, I don't know
0: that I have more. You have a lot of details. <laughs> I I'm, like a fan, I'm a fan, little... I'll admit.
2: Details on dates and stuff like that, and the Arkea partnership. My sister Lisa will have been more involved with that than me. I, uh, although I'm very excited about all of it. Tale of Sands, it was lovely to see that realized uh, off of what was my dad's treatment and storyboards, um, and I think all of all of that work is fantastic. Me personally, what I spend more of my time in is primetime development and television theatrical mm. uh, stage productions and movies. So, but all of that stuff, I'm, I can't fill you in on a lot more detail on right?
0: ah. <laughs> So no, no ask, there, no questions about the, the Dark Crystal movie or the, the Fraggle Rock movie that we're hoping to see eventually, other than oh, we're hoping I, to I, see them. I
2: will the, tell you that we are excited about both, though, and we are working on both
0: yay! <laughs> as a fan, I can be happy to, to hear that, but hopefully we'll, we'll hear some, some more soon. Um, I just had a, a couple of questions. You mentioned um, Farscape as well, in terms of the, the creatures, and there had been some news about um, a potential screenplay that, that was put forward. Is that something you would be excited to to have returned to primetime? If not, again, anything in the specifics, at least just um, having directed the, the Peacekeeper Wars are being such a big part of bringing Farscape to, to the fans, um, is that something that you're happy to see they're still on high demand.
2: Farscape is one of the projects that's very close to my heart. It took me five years to get it on air when we when we first started developing it, and um, I couldn't be happier with the the series itself. The eighty-eight hours of, that we did make,
1: mm. we made the miniseries to finish. Um, I. I am very enthusiastic
2: about that universe, that Farscape universe, and I do want to do more with it. And actually Farscape is more popular now than it was when it first aired. If you know, when I go to like science fiction convention and and talk about Farscape, we can you know, we can pack a huge room with Farscape fans and almost none of them actually saw it when it was first on air. So It it becomes almost more and more popular. People download it. They download it off of iTunes, off of Amazon. Um, They get the big Blu-ray disc box set, and and it has has an ever-renewing fan base. Hmm.
0: That's not surprising. I I can admit I watched it when it it first aired, but uh, I think with Netflix and the DVD releases, I mean, it's, it's something where people are, or just finding new means of, of accessing um, that that kind of content, and I just find, I think it's awesome, and agree with you that it's it's nice to not be alone as a Farscape fan, <laughs> to Becca a, a Hall, and and that's not the only um, property I think that that kind of has grown in popularity over time. Um, the the labyrinth, another one where you had again the creatures really take the the fore, uh, is is a is a, one of my personal favorites, and um, that's another one that had again been even. Had spin off potential and stuff in terms of the the comics and the manga properties that that your company was able to to put out there and expand the story and I just kind of wanted to ask how that 's one where you had to blend live action and and uh, and also the the creatures how difficult is it to get an actor to work with a creature or how specifically was it to to get uh, since you 're performing hoggle like how difficult was it to, or how fun was it to be with uh, with David Bowie, was was he was he pretty good in terms of working with uh, uh, with uh, puppets or with uh, or no, sorry with creatures?
2: Yeah, David was great, and he had, a, he had a, well, it was really fun to work with. Um, actually, when it's when you're working with the creatures, it's, it's it's probably a little easier for the actors than than the Muppets. But basically, all of those all of the performers very quickly can get into that rhythm of. Of believing in the creature that they're interacting with. David was really fun on set. He had a of ideas. Um, he was a he was a very good actor pairing with with our creatures. He he was he totally understood we're you know we're creating a unique fantasy world that you're the king of and and he you know loved that and embraced that. He was he was a ball to work with.
0: And uh, just uh, on, the, on a similar thing, yeah,
2: It was a mixed it, mixed live action and creature. You mean as opposed to Dark Crystal that's all...
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, because it's, yeah, it's all creatures.
2: Labyrinth has, but, but even in Dark Crystal, some of those creatures were as big as, 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 as a person. So it, it's not like the sets didn't have floors and stuff. <laughs> um, now I'm getting too technically specific. No, 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 no. Dark Crystal had similar complexities to them um it is true that we had jennifer and david in in labyrinth but the darkest world actors could have been walking around in that one just exactly the same way
0: i think that's that's part of what what people are excited about with the creature challenge and with just any of the the work that actually comes out of the the creature studio is that believability or that that you can have a, a well, either you could actually have a puppet that people believe or a creature that people believe enough to interact with other creatures and have contain its own film, uh, which is something that we rarely get to see these days or uh, from anybody, not even just from, from you guys. It's it's so remarkable. But also, um, like you said, that they so can interact with an actor. To, to
2: return to the idea of, of really creating creatures and, and then photographing them, it's recently... The creature, most creature creation has been pushed to post-production, and it's done digitally. But there is definitely um, a sacrifice when when you make that choice. Um, You're not actually creating a moment that then you're photographing. When you work with creatures that you actually built and put on set, the moment really occurred. And it was, it was photographed so that it can be in a movie. But the moment really did occur. And there's something really great about that. It's real. It, it feels like there's really a there there. And and if you just realize your creature in post-production, you can have a very, very slick effect. And you can have a very, very slick creature. But it never really happened.
0: Is that part of why you're, I mean, that, that you decided to, to go this route in terms of a competition where something, this could be perhaps multi-season even, where... Again, you, you're promoting an entire culture of of, uh, of interest for people who want to pursue these careers, whether in, in creature creation or, or puppeteering, just wanting to to breathe these uh, these kind of creations to life, or apart from what you say is a pretty effects laden or visual effects laden now world uh, with CG rather than these these techniques. I mean, do you feel like it's playing a big role in helping to preserve them or even yeah. advance them?
2: Well, it's and and. It's where our company we we sort of celebrate the performing of of a creature or a puppet and the, the bringing to life um, for real, so that it can be in the moment and it can improv- improvise, it can it can do whatever, which you can't do with a with a visual effect creature, really, not easily. We do some digital puppetry where we do we are doing three, 3D animated creatures that can still perform, but there's really nothing that, that beats. Um, doing it there, and I hope that we are part of a resurgence. It's it, we you can understand this whole pushing to post production. In the old days, we would make a movie and we would go into pre production for six months and sometimes even longer. Nowadays, pretty there are almost no movies that go into pre production for more than 12 weeks. And they push all of the stuff that we used to figure out in pre-production. They push it to post-production. And I think one reason for that is once a movie is in post-production, the studio that's financing the movie knows what they have. Um, They've already been through their test screenings and stuff like that. So so they kind of know what they have. So even though you may say to them, but it's so much more expensive to do the creature in post-production, it's still when they feel like they have a better handle on what they've got. Because I remember in the old days when we would put a movie into pre-production for six months, the studios had no idea what was going on. No idea. And you could feel the nervousness. (laughs) And I think now there's, you know, the studios have really moved to try to get the movies, you know, in the can as quick as possible so they get a sense of what they have. And then they're happy to spend a lot more money and time in post. But I think what's happening... um, Particularly in the last couple of years, is there a big movement back towards trusting the filmmakers to to make something that's that's, that's innovative and original? And, and so I see this, I, I'm now seeing this swing back that, that is good for a resurgence of, of our type of creature production.
0: One of the, the creatures that you played outside of the, I mean, you talk about very much celebrating the art of the performance for, for these particular creations. Uh, one of the more iconic ones that, that you were was Audrey Two, <laughs> the, the beast in the, the, the Little Shop of Horrors. And that's a, that's a production that people actually continue on, even in high school productions, I can admit to having been eaten by <laughs> Replica of your creature, and then getting to puppeteer myself at, at the the end of the production when uh, when it's essentially uh, celebrating victory. Spoilers, but uh, but yeah, I mean, are you is it is it interesting to you to see like creatures that that you had originated either with your performance or or as a as a creator um, continue on in in ways like that, whether it's a theatrical production or just having new performers come in and 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 take over a role.
2: Oh, I think. Ask the question again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I just how. Um, that, forgive me for the anecdote there, but it was uh, essentially what is it like to, to as a creature creator n- understand that some of the creatures actually get new performers or, or kind of have a life almost beyond yourself that they have such a huge impact in popular culture.
2: Oh well, I just think it's a lot of fun, and, and it, it it's particularly fun if you're further deepening and exploring the universe that. Creature, or, or that that you started when when you first started, and deepening and expanding um, creative fantasy realities is is a is a is a fun and, and wonderful thing to do, and, and and so I feel good about it.
0: I just want to see, um, kind of turn over the, the time to you here and just in closing, see if there was anything that um, anything else on the, the horizon that people should be looking out for from the, the Creature Workshop and from uh, the Jim Henson Company uh, at large. Um.
2: Oh, you can just keep an eye out. There's also We're always doing all sorts of stuff. Obviously, we have a lot of... of, of a vibrant kids television business. That's our that's our core business, and we continue to to create new um, kids shows. Our newest one is Doozers, which is on Hulu right now. Um, uh, oh, it's not on yet. What? I <laughs> know. I'm, I'm talking to Nicole. I was over at Hulu yesterday, and it was on their screens, and it was just just promotions. Oh, okay. I thought it had started on air. And then I've got a live show puppet up uncensored, which is an R-rated puppet show, which is hard to find. It, it only goes—I only put it out every now and then—but it really is the funniest thing I have ever done with puppets, and and I love it. Um, we've expanded. We we call that side of the company hence an alternative, and um, where we're doing more adult-targeted comedy with puppets, and we've done quite a few little things some for the nerdist channel online but I am looking to do more and bigger ambitious things in that vein of a very funny alternative comedy for an older audience I'm developing a movie in that direction Happy Time Murders which is, which is a whodunit crime thriller but mostly a balls out comedy um, with puppets and people um, we have a, we, there's a whole lot of stuff bubbling along
0: that sounds very exciting, and i'm very glad to to hear it. I guess um in closing, we just want to say again, thank you so much for for your time and Well, I hope y'all enjoyed that, boys and girls. Um, That was rather entertaining for me, and I hope for you as well. Um, Now, of course, uh, one thing that uh, you may have noticed there is we end the episode kind of with a more adult tone, and we're going to continue that slightly more adult tone with our interview of Joanna Estep. She's not quite puppet-up, uncensored level of of naughty, but um, there that we may use, use a, a phrase or two that I think that the kiddies should cover their ears for. Um, uh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it now, we say the phrase dicks. I, I apologize for saying dicks. I say it about four or five times in the interview, but it's not in the context that I think should be found offensive. If you do find it offensive, you didn't pay for this program, so really why are you complaining? I don't, I don't understand why you would waste your time on that. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for listening. And again, press that space bar, David. You have To press the record button twice, I've learned, is now the bane of my existence. <laughs> but no, um, thank you so much for, for giving us your time today. Yeah, no um, problem. We are here at C2E2. Who are we here with at
1: C2E2? You're here with uh, Joanna Estep, I believe is my name. <laughs>
0: Don't so, uh, worry when we draw a blank. It's only the first day of the. See, this is why cons that have official beers. I mean, it's 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 an issue. Well, it's official blank. beers? Oh yes, Galaxy Hero. It's amazing. I'm I need a free plug at the moment. I need that. <laughs> that might be my. I'm I'm thing I'm entirely here
1: too here. too sober, for <laughs> to be in artist alley right now. But so, anyway, but
0: we are an artist alley. You've got some some lovely art around us uh-huh. here. Um, but you, we were actually just talking about the, the stuff are doing for for a publisher, um, yeah. the more established Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you get some looks like some a lot of fan art and a lot of original or some original characters here. Uh huh. Well. Um, but I think the thing that's most piqued the interest to, to start off was Fraggle Rock. Yay!
1: Yes, Fraggle Rock. Um, now I did that one for uh, the the Fraggle anthology that Arkea put out. I w- had a couple stories in the first volume. I colored Katie Cook's story in the second volume, and also the I refurbished and recolored, sort of digitally remastered, if you will, all of Fraggle Rock Classic, which is drawn by, like, Marie Severin back in, I, I think, what, like, the 80s or something, or 90s, or... But just, yeah, just really cool stuff. I
0: like the, the re-releases that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, they just... I mean, they've got it at oh. the boom right now to re-release uh, the you know, Good, how are you doing? Oh, you know, like you know, they they had me try out as a penciler for that one when they
1: thought that their artist was gonna bounce, but he decided to stay after all, so I didn't get that job. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You no. Know, um, how did you how did you
0: get started or get involved with Arkea? And other than the fact that it's awesome, what do you do the, the Henson properties? Like, how did you get started? Oh
1: well, like regarding the Henson properties in Arkea. Um, a good friend of mine who had previously uh, worked as an editor at Tokyo Pop was, you know, I think he was working for Arkea at the time, either freelancing or if he was on staff. And um, he, since I drew for Tokyo Pop and he worked there and we were familiar with each other, he just was like, I would love to work with you. I've always wanted to work with you. Will you, you know, send us some Fraggle sketches for this new property? And I was like, boy, would I? So I, uh, went ahead and did that and, you know, just sort of one thing led to another. I ended up doing a lot of Fraggle Rock work, so.
2: Not
0: that they ever went away, but I think it's really neat to see, like, the impact that the comic books are having. Do you, do you feel like a
2: tiny, tiny smidgen of, of credit
0: that you're like, oh, they're doing a new original Fraggle Rock thing on Hulu this month. Yay. I mean.
1: Do it, I feel it's like. It,
0: it's keeping it in the keeping it in the vein of popular culture. Like, for, for kids, I mean, I think your version of Fraggle Rock is the first person that you've ever been.
1: Yeah, you know, I never thought of it that way. Because when I think of Fraggle Rock, I just think about my own nostalgia. But, you know, there are, like, a lot of kids who, you know, when I do signings with Arkea, they will come up to me and, you know, request a sketch or tell me about their favorite Fraggle. Or, like, there's this one little boy who was just my favorite, you know, because I was like, wish it was your favorite Fraggle, you know. And he just very quietly goes... I like Moki the best. She's the most philosophical. <laughs> this is like a five-year-old child, and I'm like, "Wow, well, okay." <laughs> so I thought that my, my was really cool. My answer
0: would have been like, "I like Red. She's got a red tail."
1: Yeah, that was that's usually my answer. They're like, "Which Fraggle do you like?" and I'm like, "I like to draw Red's crazy hair." <laughs> so, so a lot. Yeah, I just sketch Red a lot.
0: Yeah, that isn't the only. Um,
1: Um, for, at uh, Northwest Press, I'm currently illustrating uh, a story for the Bold Riley series, it's called Bold Riley and the Lion Jawed, and um, gosh, I'm not the writer and I'm not used to doing this pitch, but uh, she, yeah, she's sort of this like kind of fantasy warrior princess type who, you know, it, it's told like very like old school style fairy tale, where, and, and she goes and solves the mystery, and beats the bad guy and gets the girl. So, and uh, I don't know, it's just, it's written by one of my very best friends I went to high school with. And so I'm really excited to be doing comics with her. And uh, golly, beyond that, I did uh, another one for RK I did Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is based on the popular podcast. And I did the the Down in Moonshine Holler segment. And uh, the project I'm truly excited to talk about, but I need to wait one more day to talk about. Is Well, I can't tell you what it is, but Actually, if...
0: No, we, well, I mean, just as a disclaimer, we probably won't have this up um, Oh, really? We, we are able to do them fairly well on the fly since you got the, the Okay. The recorded here. Okay. It'll probably go out tomorrow if you would okay. preference that you want it to go out tomorrow or Sunday. Well, we do
1: I don't that. feel too bad because it's already leaked to the internet, <laughs> even though I did sign an NDA, but... I'm doing. We're,
0: we're not going to be jerks. We're we're a young podcast. We're yeah. not going to be like, let's break this news story. No, it's but complete this.
1: No, I, I'm doing a um, Fantastic Four one shot for Marvel, which I believe is going to be announced tomorrow. So, pretty excited about that one.
0: This is my chance to reference one of my other interviews from the weekend. Oh, go right ahead. I well, we talked to Jim Chang and I'm like, I know that you did stuff recently, but I don't really know what to ask, so you can't tell me what's coming out.
1: I That's why I was sort of like I want to talk about this thing, but I can't talk about this thing. But if you go to this Marvel panel tomorrow, you might learn about this thing that I can't talk about. So. That's what I was able to. Ask. Yeah. Like, well, I Find
0: out about this thing this weekend, and he's like, many, weekends was all I got. <laughs> many
1: weekend sides. Many weekends. You heard
2: it
0: last on kind of epic show.
1: <laughs> heard it here last. Uh, no, thank you so
0: much for, for your
1: time. Um, oh, no problem.
0: Is there is there any place that people can find you uh, online or anything? You final to where people can I up your stuff
1: people you should be on the lookout for? Um, well, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Tumblr, and um, of course there's always just my website, which is just www.joannaestep.com. I don't know if I need to spell that out, but uh, I don't really have a cool online handle, so all these like social media sites that I live on is just my name, one word. <laughs> So much,
0: you no, know, the last thing we always do is kind of a segment that we have to throw to. You. So, um, if you can just say, I'm Joanna Pista at C2E2. And you can put in the creator of whatever you would like, so any kind of material you want to plug, mm-hmm. and then just finish with, you know, You're listening to kind of epic show. Okay.
1: So, I want can I say the Fantastic Four thing? You think oh, that's absolutely. cool? All right, so I say. I'm Joanna Eastep at C2E2. I draw Fantastic Four, and I'm at and and what?
0: And you're listening to. And you are
1: listening to kind Epic of Kind
0: of Show. Don't feel bad. <laughs> okay. Every celebrity. I'm just gonna blah, blah blah All right.
1: <laughs> so. I'm Joanna Eastep at C2E2. I draw the Fantastic Four, and you are listening to Kind of Epic Show. Thank you so much. You're so welcome.
0: (laughs) And finally, I'm being handed a cease and desist letter by the Public Broadcasting Corporation. I'm being told never to use this voice ever again in public and or private situations, or I will be attacked by the public... Oh, my goodness. That is some language I have never seen in print before, let alone from the Public Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, <coughs> okay. Um, uh, anyway, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at kindofepicshow, uh, also on Facebook under kindofepicfilms. Uh, and um, if you want to follow us personally on the Twitter and the Facebook, please don't, because this was a rather disturbing letter, and now I'm going to probably change all of my passwords and privacy <laughs> settings. Uh, anyway, I really hope that you enjoyed the episode. Much more kind of epic content to come, including including um very shortly an interview with uh, the great comic book and video game uh, writer paul jenkins i hope you enjoyed the show and uh i, I would steal somebody else's outro but uh, again i'm already under threat of lawsuit from one company today and that's i think that's one is enough